Hi, welcome to The Playful Musician. I'm your host, Steve Davidson. Each week, I sit down with musicians from all different paths, from composers to conductors, percussionists to piccolo players, to tease out their strategies, practice habits, tips, tools, tricks, routines, and how they keep all of it playful. The Playful Musician is an intimate look into the lives of each musician, how they got to where they are, what motivates and inspires them, and what playing music means to them. If you'd like to learn more about the guests or just more about being playful, head on over to the website, theplayfulmusician.com. There you can find show notes, links to all references mentioned in the show, and all kinds of resources related to music. Thank you for listening, and please subscribe to The Playful Musician on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Overcast, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And while you're at it, why not leave a review as well? This week's episode is brought to you by the Tiny House Ride. Tiny House Ride is a virtual ride challenging you to ride 100 miles in one week in support of the Alameda Fire victims of Phoenix and Talent, Oregon, who lost their homes to that fire. Check it out at tinyhouseride.com where you can sign up to ride or just sign up to give. This week's guest is Kate McGarry. She is a critically acclaimed jazz vocalist, jazz artist, and um, she's been nominated on two occasions for a Grammy, including this year she's on uh, John Hollenbeck's CD that's been nominated for a Grammy Award. In our conversation, we talk about her work with the uh, Lovitri Method. Uh, we talk about being a jazz artist during the pandemic, performing live versus performing in the studio, and she shares a lot about her techniques and practicing, and uh, also gets pretty vulnerable in sharing about her journey with vocal cord injury. I really enjoyed this conversation, and I hope you do as well. Here is Kate McGarry. Kate, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Good morning, Steve. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's very early for you right now. (laughs) Actually, it's not that bad. I'm usually up by five, so um, this this is pretty good. (laughs) I was... um, you know, we're near the end of 2020, and it's been a, wow, what a year. <laughs> <laughs> you cannot make this stuff up. <laughs> right. And I was I was hoping you would talk just a little bit about this year for you, and I know you had a, you had a recording planned, and you were doing a, a sort of crowdfunding around that, and I'm, I'm yeah, guessing yeah. it kind of got put on hold, but... Um, how's 2020 been for you? I mean, yeah. other than the obvious. Like, oh, hello, Doug. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's all right. It doesn't usually do that. <laughs> Get that out. Right. I, no barking. We're doing a podcast. <laughs> ah. All right. Um. <laughs> yeah. Well, so yeah, 2020. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I don't know if you knew this, but uh, my husband and I moved to California in September of last year. I didn't and, know that. Yeah, so we we um, we had this amazing experience at at Jazz Camp West. Do you know Jazz Camp? Yep. So yeah, so we did that together in July, and it was like we had this just heart opening, you know, outrageous. Just like, whoa, this is 
there's so much kind of just energy and everything. And we, we, you know, and we hooked up with all these great musicians and we were just like, let's move to California. <laughs> and we were just on this, in this place where it was time to do something new, mm-hmm. but we weren't sure, you know, you know, what, what that was going to look like. Sure. So what, what it seemed like was to go to California. So we, we got rid of a lot of stuff. We rented out our, our house to some students and, um, and, uh, Loaded up the truck and we moved to Beverly. <laughs> wow, what an adventure! <laughs> yeah, it was a it was a huge adventure, um, and um, ultimately, you know, it was a real kind of hero's journey. We both really went through a lot of I don't know um, soul searching and mm. figuring out what was really important to us and individually, and then. Um, and, and as a, as a partnership of, you know, 16 years and, um, and then, uh, coincidentally the pandemic hit and we just, we were looked at each other like, let's go home. (laughs) It was just, it wasn't sustainable there. And I mean, we had some nice work at the conservatory, the California jazz conservatory. And we just, we met so many lovely folks and everything, but it was not a, a place where jazz music was going to be able to be sustainable. And, um, you know, it just was so expensive mm, and yeah. crazy, even though it was so beautiful too. We, we just, we both really felt clear that we, we wanted another shot back here mm. and, um, we got back here and it was just like, ah, you know how, you know, like it was like a, whatever that guy, a, a wonderful life right. after he gets. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Like, yeah. Um, uh, and, and, and so we've been back since April mm-hmm. and, um, and um, it's just felt just really, really wonderful, nurturing, nice. like the right place to be. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's been a big time of change because, uh, you know, all of our work was wiped out in one day, just like every other musician. Yeah, yeah. And we had to start building other uh, formats for income and for, um, you know, uh, sharing what we do, you know. Yeah. Um, so those, I, and I would say that's been really successful and gratifying for me and I know for Keith too, in terms of the that there was a kind of pushing that had been going on, you know, for decades, this, this pushing that was just sort of like, what is this for? Mm. Nobody's get, you know, I mean, for jazz musicians, you're not, <laughs> you know, right. it's just, it's a food chain or whatever it is. It's not, you know, it, it's you, really all you, there is to do is to do your, is to really concentrate on your, whatever, feels like it wants to be expressed expressed through you and yeah. to and to try and do that as as uh, authentically as you can and um and so that was sort of what we're left with was like oh we've been like just trying to you know oh we're supposed to be doing these gigs and going on the road and doing this and doing that and you know none of it was really sustainable so we're just sort of enjoying that Mm. Um, you know. Yeah, I've enjoyed. I've heard. Uh, I've watched the, some. Ch- Charlie Hunter was doing a lot of like 
face or Instagram lives and he was talking about like the blessing behind this of like it's the first time I'm not on the road for like all my life and I get to actually work on some things that I've always wanted to work on and I was like what a great perspective on the you know the challenge and the opportunity absolutely yeah yeah so um and i found a real love of of, uh teaching practice and i've been going a lot deeper into that as a you know studying the craft of, of teaching yeah um and teaching the particular kind of voice method that i use which is called uh somatic voice work uh, the lo- the Leventry method. <laughs> love it. Can you talk Le- more about that? Like, what is that somatic? I, I'm somatic curious. voice work. Yeah, somatic voice work. The Leventry method is um, uh, something that was uh, um, uh, created by Jeannie Leventry, who's a, a a singing teacher in uh, New York City, who's worked with everybody from Broadway stars, um, you know, to great jazz stars to um, uh, classical people. I mean, she's, she's mm. done everything. And she's, she's just, uh, over the years, she's, um, she's come up with a method that, that is uh, for, for contemporary commercial music specifically and that uh, gives an alternative to the, um, uh, to the classical pedagogy that says, you know, do these eight things and this is how you sing mm-hmm. contemporary commercial music really requires that we use the voice and the spaces inside the throat, um, in 180 degrees different way. Right. Um, and, and so to, to do that safely and to, um, to do that in a way that, uh, is in alignment with each person's like, inner, you know, uh, their, their vocal function, it's a vocal function method, but it's really, it's really, um, also geared to helping the person sound like themselves, but to develop whatever their instrument is in a strong and healthy and flexible way. So, um, it's, yeah, it's been really amazing because it's, it's super nuanced and, um, Uh, and it's taken, I've been doing it for, you know, probably almost, yeah, about, about 17 years oh, wow. and, and teaching it for about, um, maybe eight and, and it's the, that kind of thing that the more, you know, the more you, yeah. you realize you don't know. Right. Um, but, but now I'm having such amazing results with students in terms of them being able to access different parts of their voices and open up constriction and mm. that they've had and, and be able to express themselves, which is the real, the whole point of any technique right. work is to be able to express yourself, um, in a healthy, you know, with, a, with a healthy, uh, uh, instrument that that's flexible and strong, you know? Yeah. So you studied with her directly? Yeah. Yeah. I lived in New York for about 10 years and, um, I met her through, I don't know if you know, Luciana Souza. Oh, yeah, beautiful. Yeah, and Theo Blackman. I don't know if you know yep. him as well. But um, they turned me on to Jeannie, and at the time I, I had, you know, very tiny little, you know, I don't know, sort of just a little little girl voice. and <laughs> and But there was a lot of big feelings inside, mm. but I couldn't, I couldn't 
I couldn't give voice to that really mm. um, until I met her and started working on my instrument and finding that you know that there was so much more there. You know, right? And, you know, yeah. yeah, that's amazing. One thing that strikes me about your your voice is so clear. Like yeah. there's such a clear, pure quality when you're singing and your so your pitch is like so accurate <laughs> like oh, wow <laughs> well thanks a lot I, <laughs> I i know better than to uh you're supposed to just to nod and say thank <laughs> say you yes. <laughs> yes yes um especially when like you're when you're improvising I mean, people call it scatting. I like to just call it improvising, personally. Uh Um, It's very instrumental. Like, it's very... It sounds to me not like what I would expect from a vocalist. It sounds more like what I would expect from a saxophonist or a pianist or a... There's a very... And I don't, don't want you to take this the wrong way. There's a very instrumental quality in your improvisation, did you, did you learn a lot of instrumental solos uh, uh, when you were mm-hmm. learning jazz or was it mostly I think, vocal I, solos? Thank you. First, that's a really nice thing to hear. Um, I think I, I tend to think of it in terms of narrative an extension of the narrative of, of the, whatever song I'm singing. So mm-hmm. like if I've got something that I'm, I'm trying to say with the lyric and then when that, the lyric runs out and if there's still a feeling of, of that has to come out, then I go to improvisation in terms mm-hmm. of that, you know, um, so that it, it feels like it's a continuation of a narrative um, right. of, the, of the song, not separate from it. And that's how I feel like all the, the best uh, <laughs> instrumentalists are playing. If you feel like you could hear them singing words to their solos or that they're, you, or you just feel them talking to you. You know, even if it's yeah. not through through spoken language, um, and I did. I think you know when the my when I was first uh, hearing jazz, some of the first jazz I heard um, was uh, instrumental. Uh, Bill Evans and mm-hmm. uh, and Keith Jarrett were mm-hmm. some of the the first ones that I kind of sat with for a long time and just kept hearing over and over in my head. So mm-hmm. maybe that. Maybe that's part of it. I don't know. <laughs> Did you ever transcribe um, or do any transcription work of instrumental solos? Sure. Um, I, I did. I have done that. And that does really help. I, I really encourage students to do that. Um, and I do that even, yeah, even now. And that does help with precision and with, with um, specificity. Because I do feel like you know, God's in the details in, in this. Mm. Otherwise, it can in jazz or it can just have a kind of monotone or, or a, you know, just a, a flatness in terms of uh, narrative arc. You know, and, and yeah. in order to in order to for it to to go deep, it's got to be specific. It's got to be, you know, um, I've got to right. be connected both to whatever my my emotional. Uh, input is and also to the uh to the harmonic structure and the the rhythmic structure yeah i don't think of you as like there's 
vocal jazz and then there's like jazz there's like there's two camps and when i grew up well when i was going to school in the late 80s they were totally separate it was like you know and i don't <clears throat> maybe and maybe there's still that a little bit but artists like yourself and esperanza spalding for example i don't think about as like vocal jazz i just think here's a great jazz artist bobby mcferrin another great example of like they're just using their instrument just like i would play the saxophone or uh someone else would play the piano like it's mm. just it's not like i'm thinking about oh there's this person's doing vocal jazz no they're just they're just performing or expressing yeah yeah i think i, I think there's a right there's there's this a, a part of a the jazz community that's sort of more focused on singing together and harmonies. And there's a lot of beauty in that. Um, uh, but it does require that the, all the singers use the same vowel shapes. Mm -hmm. And yeah. then that necessarily kind of takes them out of their own, what would their, be, their sound be if they weren't trying to, to harness it to the other sounds that they're hearing. And that, that kind of funnels everything down a particular um, avenue that I think mm. gives you that more, uh, it, it's less spontaneous sounding. Yeah. And, and a little, it's, 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 it's very, it's very concerned with beauty. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and that, I think that that's a doorway for jazz for a lot of people. So, um, you know, I, I, I don't, poo-poo that at all no um, no it's but and no, not no. that you're doing that but, no <laughs> um, it's just like what do you go to when you go to listen is that what yeah. you know that's not your necessarily your everybody has different doorways and you right. know but my hope is that you know as people are doing that and maybe they become really proficient at that that somehow they also be able to unhook from that mindset where they're trying to train themselves with you know or hook themselves to a particular like this is the vowel sound or this is the shape I have to make for this vowel or mm. this is um, or I have to make sure that it sounds pristine and beautiful as opposed to what is what is driving me to say these words and to and to connect with this melody what is the essentialness of this song and and really letting that be the reason, you know, and behind what they do, you know, and that's, I don't know, that's what I'm always, always um, trying to do myself and, and also trying to steer people towards. Right. Because it's, it's more, it's very fulfilling when you actually go inside and you find out what does this, say for instance, you know, you take a whatever, a Cole Porter tune um, mm -hmm. and, and you start drilling down on the lyric and finding uh especially because these, these songs were all written 70, 80 years ago. So for a person now, especially a young person, it, they're either just going to be parroting word, the words they learn and maybe parroting an attitude, like, this is a saucy one, or mm -hmm. this is a, you know, this is <laughs> yeah. sad. But, but the, the real opportunity is, for, is to dig down in terms of... Um, it, it's a, to my way of thinking, you fill the lyric with your life. Mm. And the only way that you can do that, 
I mean, the, the lyric in the song is a skeleton, and then you have to fill it with your, with connection to your life, to your experience, which is very different from acting out of an attitude, right? right? And, and that kind of work is, is sort of, it's just, it's a little more personal, it's a lot more personal, and it's, um, yeah, you have to get really specific, like that when I say, you know, um, night and day, you are the one, what am I, like, is there, can I get some kind of somatic or, or visceral response in the body that that then, whether, it doesn't have to be linear, like, here's the story of this, you know, um, right. It could be colors. It could be a fragrance. It could be just a scene that you see, or and it can be memories. You know, yeah. um, you want to dig in and really find the substance of your life that that relates to that lyric, and then and then that lyric has life in it that's very specific to to you. How do you get a student to do that? <laughs> <laughs> it takes a while. <laughs> well, you know what? I'll tell you what. People are get bored with jazz, and the reason why they're bored is because it's not they don't get specific and personal enough with it. But they've never heard to do that, you know. Mm. So when you invite somebody into that process, if they're a sincere singer and they really and 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 at most of all are, you know, I really I haven't had anybody fight me on this mm. when I invite them into this process. They start to see and hear information from their lives in relation to uh, to each lyric, you know, and then and then they go back and sing, start to sing the song, and lo and behold, we care about it because they're they're not trying to demonstrate something, they're not trying to show us or tell us, they're uh, they're doing the generous work of connecting. Um, in a somatic and visceral way to their own body and their own emotional body, and then allowing the, the, that to flow through the lyric. That's beautiful. That's so awesome. Yeah. It is rewarding, and you can see, you know, you can hear it. Yeah. Yeah. How does that work? for you when you say you go into the studio so i wanted to talk a little bit about the differences between live performance and studio work because you do a lot of both mm -hmm. like how do you well in the studio for example do you do a ton of takes or is it just like are you trying to just invite that um that experience you just talked about out mm -hmm. Um, I'll, most I'll most of the time, <laughs> I'll tell you what <laughs> the live the live thing for me. I have a pretty it it feels like I get connected up and I'm able to let it go and let it be whatever it is. And then in the studio, it totally depends what I'm doing. If someone's asked me to do something for them and I've prepared it, I can go in and it feels like for the most part, it's like really successful. And I can, you know, I feel like, Oh good, I did something, you know, uh, that was a service for that person. Mm. It was fulfilling for me. And then when it's my own record, um, it's a hellscape. <laughs> oh, no. It's an absolute hellscape. 
I'm not, I'm not kidding you. Wow. Um, you know, it's the meeting place of all my, my caretaking foibles because I've got a band there. So it's a, it's a, uh, it's really a mess. <laughs> and here's where, here's where I'm so grateful and, and, and really hashtag blessed prayer hands for, um, my, my partner, uh, mm. Keith, Keith Gans, cause he, and he also has the same problem in the studio. Your all your attention is going towards the band and trying to get, you know, um, get these people who are so skilled and so amazing and, and willing mm. to, to hear the picture that's in your mind, you know, right. And feel what you, which you've tried to get onto a paper, which they can read. And this is very, you know, it takes a lot of doing. Um, cause, cause usually we're super specific about what we're looking for yeah. in terms of like feeling, but they're not necessarily words you can say, well, just play it exactly like this, and then we're going to get X result. Right. It, it doesn't really happen like that. It's sort of, it's, it's always in this sort of like mystical, <laughs> weird, like, place where everybody's got to meet. And it's this combination of having a vision beforehand, really being clear about what, you know, how that song feels to, to me and, and, and Keith as well and making an arrangement that kind of uh, helps that be manifest and then inviting people to join you in that place mm. and and then to see what happens with their gifts. Right? Because right. if you, I've found, I mean, if you try and tell people too much like, okay, this is, play this like this and play this like this, you, you want to, then you, they want to, you know, be of service, you know, right. so they'll do that, but then they're ignoring all of their information that would help them do something that's actually a lot better than what I came up with. Sure. So, so the, so the, um, you know, the real, the real work there is to get everybody into the same beautiful space and then let it happen. Right. Um, but what happens for me oftentimes is that by the time I get into the studio, um, there's a, some kind of combination of the anxiety and exhaustion mm. and and the outward focus of taking care of business, of being the band leader or whatever, all that stuff. And I know this, is, I mean, this happens for Keith too, because um, he's the you know producer on most producer, of these. Yeah. Um, uh, it's just, it doesn't make for the best <laughs> experience in studio. And so then what happens is, we, we go home with these takes and then and we start fishing through everything and I'll tell you what Keith is like a miracle worker he always he starts just like editing and carving out and and helping like I don't know sometimes it's stuff about EQing sometimes it's things about taking out stuff that's too much yeah um, and then all of a sudden, this track emerges. It's just like so beautiful. And oftentimes there's, you know, between a few different tracks, there's a beautiful vocal there, you know, where there wasn't one for a whole take or whatever. So I'm not, I'm not a live gal in the studio. (laughs) And, um, and then I'll often, you know, read, read overdub stuff later. 
and that's fine. I mean, to me, the the studio is a is a lifelong document of and and just want it to be as as clear and um and you know deep a representation of you know of of what your what your message is and what you want to share sure. as possible and and that the technology is there in service to that yeah. and um that's not the case for a lot of people and I admire those people like Luciano Sozo will go in the studio and whip it out live you know and it's just like gorgeous and yeah. you know and it's just not I, I don't have I don't have that to offer usually yeah. in the studio in unless it's for other people <laughs> yeah yeah have you done many live recordings like where they've come to the venue and recorded you not that I've released no oh you know what actually one uh, Keith and I did one a duo concert called Genevieve and Ferdinand which was released on Sunnyside Records and um, that was live in front of an audience, and um, that really, it came out beautifully. I'm really proud of that work, and um, nice. uh, yeah, and, uh, but again, the first three months, or you know, we hated it. We couldn't even listen to it, and we were like, <laughs> we really should just hang it up. We suck, and let's <laughs> stop doing this. I'm not kidding. It really, you go through, it's just like, is this? <laughs> you know, this is what you, you know, want it. Oh, man. It's really hard. And then, and then, then you just need time away from it. For instance, this, this recording, which we were just working on, uh, which is called What to Wear in the Dark. Right, What to Wear in the Dark. Okay, I've been working on this for three years. <laughs> uh, I mean, we, re- we did one recording three years ago, right mm. around, right after the time that we did, um, with that I recorded the trio record, The Subject Tonight is Love, mm-hmm. with uh, Keith Gans and Gary for cities. Right. Um, we brought uh, Obed Calvert and Ron, um, Ron Miles, the trumpet player, into the studio. We did a, a bigger group recording. And then um, uh, that got just put on ice, and I couldn't even listen to it. And... And we, we just focused on the other record and we put that one out. And and then when we went back and listened to it, there were a bunch of things that did not work. So we decided to do another studio session, which we did in March in New York. It was the last thing that happened, I don't know, um, before everything shut down. It was sure. actually Teaneck, uh, New Jersey. We were in Teaneck, New Jersey, and that was the hot spot that weekend. And they closed everything down. Um, that day it was like March 14th and 15th mm-hmm. and we were just at we had just been at the Jazz Standard which was an amazing uh, club which also just announced that it's closing for good now oh. um, we were there we were the last group to be there Wow. Um, uh, yeah March 10th and 11th and then we went right in the studio the next day and I didn't realize it because I thought oh the band will be all hot from being in the studio. I was exhausted. <laughs> I was exhausted emotionally and mm. vocally. And it was just, you know, for some reason, yeah. it just wasn't the best for vo- for voice, you know. Yeah. But we got some beautiful takes. And so between the two sessions, one three years ago with one amazing band, and then one last March with another amazing band, we have, uh, there's a, an amazing record that's taking shape 
now, and hopefully it's going to come out um, in probably early summer um, next year on um, Resilience Music Alliance uh, label. Yeah. It's a great, a really wonderful label. Well, that's exciting. Can't wait to hear it. Your recordings are so beautiful. Like, I, you know, they're, they don't sound produced (laughs) to me. Like, they just sound, that's why I asked about the studio work, because it sounds, there's such a natural quality to them. It almost sounds like first takes to me. Oftentimes they are first takes, um, but then it's, it, it just it, there's a lot of shaping that has to happen, um, and sometimes sometimes it's editing. It's really in the editing, like it was too long, so we took out a chorus, and Keith is able to sew together, you know, Tighten so that up. you get the essential right, the essential part of it. And um, but but I, I I agree with you that that there's there's a lot of care taken to um, have the organic of the energy of the studio there and for for that is really a tribute to Keith that he preserves that and that that's like almost it's so important to him you know that it not feel like somebody would whatever that it just feel organic yeah and um, yeah I've heard a lot of uh, well part of during COVID I watched a lot of documentaries on on Amazon about uh, different bands. There was a really great one on Peter Gabriel's So record, and oh, what? Yeah, <laughs> and they were with talk- Larry Klein. Was Larry was it with Larry Klein in the studio? And yeah, and they were talking about they were interviewing Manu Keshe, and he was saying that I think it was In Your Eyes, and and he said he came into the stu- he came into the studio, and Peter explained to him what he wanted, and it's got a that's got a really like a kind of almost a samba it's a really interesting oh yeah drum and Manu sat down and he was like listening to the vocal and listening to the bass and he's like oh yeah I know what I'm gonna do and he just like played it and then Peter's like that was great and do it again and Manu was like what's there to do again like <laughs> there's nothing, <laughs> nothing's gonna change like but it spoke to this what I think that pointed to was this aspect of the first time when something happens, there's a magic that happens in the first time when you bring a group of musicians together and they're, you've explained your idea, they've listened to you, you sing it, or they've listened to parts of it. And that first time that you actually put the song together, there's a magic that happens that's very hard to recreate. And I, and I know My- Miles must have been really attuned to that because, you know, the most famous jazz album of all, Kind of Blue... It was built on that. It's like here's some sketches and a lot of first takes. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It really is. It really is. Have you done a bunch of studio stuff? I mean, do you, oh. you know that feeling a little bit? Or I've I've done. I did some this. I've done a a, a little bit. Um, uh-huh. I did some this summer actually, uh, from my own house, which was interesting. Yes. Like yes. just recording stuff, but. When I recorded my own my own CD coming out of grad school, I had that experience of like, I had such a clear idea, this is what I want to do, and it totally, it all changed 
when I got into the studio because what the four other musicians brought to it really, um, and it was far better than what I could have imagined on my oh, own. Right. And that was a real lesson for me. Like, don't hold on so tightly to your, I mean, you have a vision, you have to have a vision obviously, or no, you know, it's really challenging, but not to hold on so tightly to it to really allow, as you were saying, each artist to bring their uniqueness to it and influence it and be able to adapt in the moment and let go of your ego and say, oh, this is actually, this actually could be better than right. what I imagined. Right, right. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Here's Kate singing one of my favorite tunes, My Funny Valentine. album that just got nominated that John Hollenbeck. Oh, yeah. Mm. When was that recorded? Uh, that was recorded uh, gosh, it was either 2018 or 2019 in the spring. Maybe it was 2019. Okay. Is it? No, wait. No, 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 no. <clears throat> gosh, why can't I remember? That's alright. But that was um, it's been nominated. It's got a Grammy nomination. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, boy, his, I don't know if you've listened at all yeah. um, to it, but his, it's just, he's it, just such a beautiful combination of like, not, uh, not classical, but sort of like contemporary, he's just like this, such an amazing contemporary composer, yeah. and he also really values the heart, um, uh, the heart and the soulfulness of the voice. And letting that be speak freely. So he sets these, he makes these settings of these, you know, songs that we all know. Right. And you have to, you have to let go of what you ever 
thought the song was. But then you get to step into this new, you know, experience of the song and of these iconic, you know, really classic songs. Uh, I had, I think, my a really beautiful experience with uh, Fire and Rain mm. on this last one. Um, I, you know, it's a song I've just loved forever. And there was something about the way that he set the instruments underneath me that made me find, you know, a very new place uh, to sing that from. Yeah, it's a it's a beautiful and um a little jarring recording at first because you're like you see the title at least i did i'm like oh this song i love this song and then you're like wait what (laughs) god only knows what i'd be without you did you check that one out he just changes every like he just rearranged all the words so that it was like a little rubik's cube of the of the song and and oh god it's just yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh. It seemed like a really fun experience for you to do that recording. Yeah, and we've done th- three. This is the third one, and each one has been, you know, it's actually the hardest music I've ever had to sing. Really. Most cha- challenging, yeah, in terms of reading the music and 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 you know, um, being able to do it uh, mm. vocally. You know, you usually have to really prepare. Um, it kind of taught me, wow, you know, okay, you can't just go in there and <laughs> sing this. You have to work on this right. for a long time before to be able to sing it, right? What was your preparation like for that recording? Well, in the in the past for this one that just happened now, I, I made I had made a vow to myself that I was going to uh well what back up a little bit was that um, I realized because sometimes I find especially when I'm singing other people's music that I deal with a lot of anxiety when I'm going to perform it and the reason why it turned out was because I wasn't didn't feel prepared enough Mm. and that I've always kind of been seat of my pants kind of person and since growing up there's just always been a more of a, a crisis-oriented <laughs> way of, of moving through life of like, oh, I survived that. Okay, oh, I survived that. And and um, and so and so I think that was really behind how I was approaching so much of the my musical experiences. And it's not fun. Mm. It's actually terrifying. So, um, but I I couldn't give myself the gift of spending the time and the energy on my own voice, on my own, because there's all these always everybody else comes first, mm. right? And growing up with 10 kids in your, right. in your family and all this stuff, you just, you know, you, the idea of what you need coming first is just not, you know, is not really the thing. And, yeah. but I, I think that's probably why, part, partially why I became a singer, because it was a, it was, a place where it was like, well, you have to focus on yourself. (laughs) But this, um, I had kind of an experience where I didn't give myself the time and to to really feel vocally, you know, able to do a particular thing. And I, it really fell short of my, um, of my expectations and also the person who hired me. And, 
and unfortunately, it was a very public situation. Oh, no. <laughs> but I mean, it was the kind of thing. There were a lot of different yeah. sets, and just one of them, the first one, you know, that was all live broadcast, was not up to snuff. And um, and I remember being in the middle of that and swear I felt like I was dying. Oh, I no. really did. It was so terrible. It was just awful. It was the feeling of like my body being like, I'm not up. I can't do it. <laughs> and you didn't give me enough, you know, uh, training. It's like you're being yeah. asked to run a marathon, but you didn't give it. You never trained for it, you know. Mm. And you're kind of just thinking that you can just push your through yourself through like you've done every other time. But then when the nerves and all the other things hit and you're like, no, that. Your system goes. This isn't good enough. We can't really yeah. perform to your expectations. Um, uh, but then, you know, I had a glass of wine and took off. I had some tight, some tight things <laughs> that made it so I couldn't breathe. And then the next set was like, you know, a million times better. Right. Which uh, they weren't, you know, live streaming that one. <laughs> but um, but anyway, then after that, I literally, I was like. I'm not doing this anymore because mm. that's what I remember saying to myself in the middle of, you know, mm. singing to whatever, all these people in this really nice venue and everything. I was like, I'm not putting myself through this ever again. And what I came up with was, oh, that's, you're not going to, either you're going to stop doing it or you're going to give yourself the time and the focus and the, and the, you know, the, you know, the gift of, of being prepared, yeah. you know, of really working for days on end, weeks on end, so that it's not even a question. And that's what I realized. It's like, that's why other people aren't scared when they get out there, because they, that's how they, you know, that's how they, they always knew that that's what a professional does. But for, and I know this is, you know, kind of outing myself. No, this <laughs> is great. This is awesome. But I mean, it really, it's sort of like, I am a late bloomer till the day I die. I am going to be late blooming. And, and that's just how it is for me. It's just like I learn as learn while you burn. That's mm -hmm. really what it is. <laughs> and so when I'm in a lot of pain, then I learn something really amazing. And then, then slowly it's like, well, you don't have to put yourself through so much pain to learn and to be, you know, Right. To, be, uh, to do what you want. So, but the, uh, the out um, pouring of that was that then I started, I was like, okay, I've got this coming spring. I've got this record I'm going to do with John Holland. I, I've got this Leaves of Grass tour with Fred Hirsch. I've got, you know, I had all like a string of things um, that had to happen. And I just was like, I am going to work these things till they are not even. And, you know, so it's not even a question. Mm -hmm. And I and I did, and I did still face a lot of the nerves, but then I had done the training, and I was able to 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 um, meet, you right. know, meet it. Right. And that, that was my goal, was to be able to enjoy the process, enjoy performing, and, um, and feel uh, confident and also happy you know, with what I was offering to the situation. Right. And so awesome. that did, that did happen on the, on the John Hall event one. And, and, you know, it was just a, a beautiful experience for me because a, a couple of the ones back before that were such nail biters because 
you know, I hadn't known how to how to really prepare. <laughs> so, what is when you're preparing for that? Like, can you walk me through a little bit what a practice session might look like when you're working on those songs? Yeah. So the, a lot of it is like um, vocally, just running, getting running the instrument so that. There's in, in in this system that I work with, the, the somatic voice work, you isolate your chest register, your head register, you get them, uh, which is your chest register, oh, oh you know, and uh-huh. your head register, oh, right. high, high, right. high, low. But they both are kind of run by different sets of muscles. And so um, being able to really sing in both registers and have strength and flexibility you're just running you know you're running um and have breath control and have uh have the instrument just be able to hold together and and uh, work with ease Mm. you have to do just a lot of like you know if you were an athlete you'd be just slogging around you know running or in the gym you know rocky montage (laughs) (laughs) so but then, then you're taking the song, right, whatever the song is, and then you're isolating uh, challenging uh, phrases mm-hmm. and seeing what they need in order to, to um, be able to be sung easily and in the quality that you want, right? right? Yeah. So then, that, then repeating those, finding it, that quality, then repeating it, you know, a hundred times, whatever. And maybe you're going to do that over the course of, of a bunch of different weeks. And maybe at the beginning, you can't get through it without, you don't have enough breath, you know. So, yeah. that, so then you're working on your stamina. You're working on, can I keep, you know, uh, how's the pitch? What's right. going on there? Does it feel like it's pulling because I'm going up really high? Does it feel like it's holding together in the bottom? Right. Um, so you're, you're basically isolating um, different uh, different sections of it sure. and repeating them. And I do them with all these different little tools. Like I use like a, a, a straw under my tongue oh, and I'll wow. sing with that. Right, because the, the, the uh, swallowing muscles oftentimes are getting in the way. They're interfering. They're over they're hyper-functioning. Oh, wow. So you're, you, you get let the tongue release and stretch forward which creates all the space in the back of the throat um also i will sing using a straw and in water so so maybe i'd sing the melody Mm -hmm. a challenging melody over and over again with this and what this is doing is getting the vocal cords to um it's it's a kind of scientific thing that you're creating this back pressure um, mm. that meets the pressure of the air that's coming up through the lungs. And that, uh, for some reason, gets the vocal cords to just close very easily oh, wow. without extrinsic muscle tension. So um, it's a way to get the vocal cords to just be able to get stronger and, and have better closure. Um, right. So it's a, it's kind of, that's also kind of like a training where you're, if you were running with with some weights on your sure. arms, or whatever. So it's like um, things like that, like vocal fitness. Like you're really getting yeah. your you're getting in shape for this event. Yeah, it, vocal function, it, and that's what somatic voice work is really. Here's Kate singing 
Whatever Lola wants, Lola gets. talking about long-term development another interview and you said my voice was going to catch up slowly to everything else do you feel like it's do you feel like it's caught up to you <laughs> <laughs> uh, well if you if you got a minute <laughs> yes of course <laughs> got a I'll few. tell you um, uh, I would say the short answer is yes and a little bit longer answer is that um, it caught up by way of falling apart. And it was a great metaphor for, for life and for um, uh, failure, quote unquote, mm. as a, um, as, as a, as a uh, yeah, just a, as a, a part of the journey that's really actually the crux of the journey. Mm. So um, at a point, maybe about five years ago, at this point, maybe six years ago, I started to have a lot of vocal trouble, mm. and um, my speaking voice wasn't working. I was exhausted, and I was flying up to New York and to teach, um, and sleeping on you know somebody's couch, and and I was overextending myself and not taking care of myself, mm. and. Um, but the, the deeper thing was that I I was losing, well, it was like my I had sort of lost my voice, my voice. Mm. And so then my actual physical voice started to shut down. And I had uh, I started I had some injuries. I um, from that weakened position as I was doing some concerts, I had a vocal cord hemorrhage. Oh, no. And I didn't 
I didn't realize, I didn't even know. Um, and then, uh, but the voice was weaker and I didn't understand what had happened. Um, and then I, I went and got it looked at and they were like, you've had a vocal cord hemorrhage, you need to, to shut it down for a minute and let this heal. And I, I did, but the whole system was really weak. Mm. And my speaking voice was weak. And there was just an unsupportedness in my life for myself. And so this kind of, this kind of downward trajectory continued. Um, and I kept injuring, re-injuring the voice until um, I, ha I had to stop performing and teaching. And I had to have a surgery. And then uh, even after that surgery, uh, it was very hard for my voice to heal. And But what I had to do was kind of shut down the whole way that I was doing everything mm. and, and to start uh, with self-care and to start with meditation, to start with from the premise of, okay, maybe you don't get to be a singer anymore. Who are you? What... What uh, what do you have, you know, just what do you have to offer besides the idea of I'm a singer and I'm going to do X, Y, Z. So it was a sort of disintegration that had to happen. And from that, um, and from letting, you know, from working with, with Jeannie really strongly, she just believed in me so, mm. so much and believed in, in her method, um, and also I was working with a great uh, a team down here in, in Durham at the Duke Voice Care Center. Uh, the director, Lita Scarce, became a great, a really dear friend, and she held my hand mm. through. You know, it was just kind of like every time I would go back in for a for a scope, they'd be like, "It's you re-injured it again." So I was, it was both. It, I kept hemorrhaging, 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 and. After a while, you're going to get scar tissue, and when once you get scar tissue on the vocal cords, they're not able to move and be flexible, right? So I was starting to despair, yeah. you know, of this ever working out. But I had this really beautiful support, and um, and I was doing this work inside of trying to find out who am I, what do I care about, what, how do I take care of myself. Yeah. Because I had really spent an entire life trying to take care of myself on the side <laughs> and do what I lo loved on the side, but take care of the world, mm. which the world had never asked me for that. Right. You know, it was just a replication of old family, yeah. you know, family dynamics. Um, so, yeah, there was just a, this re resetting that had to happen, and um, I just I had some really beautiful healing experiences with my with my family where my sisters at one point it was in March after I had had months of trying to recover and it was getting a little bit stronger but it just wasn't it was starting to feel like is this mm. how my voice is going to be and I was really in despair mm. um, and my sisters all met with me in New York and and they um, I'll tell you this was just like the most magical thing that ever um uh, I, I I was crying in a bathtub because I was like, you know, I was just, it was nighttime. And I was just like, I'm so sad here. And they all came in with candles and they surrounded me. And um, 
and you know laid hands and started singing to me mm. and they sang um this song that's on the john holmbeck record uh as i went down to the river to pray yeah beautiful they just kept singing that over and over again for half an hour or something and and I wet. I, oh. I just I let go into their care. And one sister climbed in to the bath and just held me. And I I let go of some kind of pain of I don't know you know maybe DNA of you know centuries past of the idea that I'm on my own. Mm. You know the isol- in isolation. I think is one of the main things that happens why people can't heal is they feel alone. Right. And this was uh, such a beautiful experience of being accepted and held and loved and, um, you know, just people calling to my essential spirit, people, my tribe, you know, yeah. and saying, we want you back, you know, we want you, not you to take care of us, we want you. Mm. And the next morning I woke up and my voice was different. It was different, and the heat, and it was like that was this turning point. It was like it started to heal. I started to um, I had performances on the books, and I and I you know got on there. It wasn't like a miracle, but right. I could really I could feel that I had changed. Yeah. You know what I mean? There was an alchemic thing that had happened yeah. from allowing myself to be cared for. And allowing that love in, and allowing the pain out. Right. And um, I wish that for every human being. I really do, because yeah. it's just you know, there's just nothing like that feeling of that you are loved and cared for, and to know that you know. Um, and I think that is available, you know, um, whether or not you have you know, a group of sisters or whatever. Sure. It's just, it can happen inside, yeah. you know, by yourself in a, in a moment alone. And it has many times since, since that. Mm. But, um, but anyways, it was, it was a marked, you know, uh, yeah. signpost. And then, and then, then the, the healing tools of the, of somatic voice work and of the work that I was doing with, uh, Lita were really able to, you know, bring, the physical instrument back and to, you know, within maybe six, it took another six months, I would say. But then my voice has been stronger and clearer and it was like a new dimension actually opened up from from there. And I feel like, I don't know, a kind of (laughs) like a superhero, you know, heart kind of got, got connected and, yeah, and that's when I was started to be able to teach, actually, you know, in a way that really felt useful uh, to other people because I could see, oh, I came back. I had to teach, you know, to learn how to to speak and sing uh, from scratch because mm. I couldn't make a sound, and I was terrified to make a sound mm. because it kept injuring. So anyway, since that time, there's like vocal function really makes sense, you know. The, the mind body connection and, and the and how the body will show you what's going on inside is so makes sense and so that really helps me in my work with other people to help them be able to get at that level of, of um, 
of uh, uh, sort of like communication, right. you know, yeah. with inside. Thank you. That- yeah, thank you for that's that's so touching, and thank you for sharing that story. That's a that's amazing, and beautiful, and wow, that's a mm. that's really sweet that your sisters held you in that way and helped mm. helped transition you into a new healing space. That's that's amazing. Yeah, yeah, really precious. Here's Kate singing one of my favorite of her original tunes called Man of God. lineup of 10 I'm number six in the top <laughs> wow that's a <laughs> lot of <laughs> it's a lot of kids we had one bathroom for the first you know whatever 12 years of the mm. <laughs> wow yeah. you uh, are you actively playing piano still or is that I, where's piano I, fit in yeah I play I don't perform with it I did do one recording where I played and sang, and that's on uh, Subject Tonight is Love. There's a song I wrote called Losing Strategy Number 4, mm-hmm. um, which was written during this period. Um, oh, wow. And that's a, a song about, um, it's a song about the experience of, of revenge and how the feeling acting out from that space um, was such a... Uh, a poison mm. and what it did the, like what it did in in my life you know yeah and um boy you know talk about yeah lessons learned but you yeah. know it's like hurt people hurt people <laughs> yeah yeah so yeah, um but true. i played the piano and sang that um song but i haven't i don't usually and i i've done that in performance uh sense a little bit but it's mm-hmm. it's not a secure thing, but I would like it. I would like to be able to do that more. Yeah. The um, how much how much listening do you do these days? Like um, aside from your own projects, do you consume mm-hmm. a lot of music? Um, boy, I feel like a fraud, you know, <laughs> in this area because there's just it's like this is that's another part of self care is letting myself enjoy music. Mm-hmm. And 
in 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 more stingy periods, I find I that's like the, you know I don't do that, and um, I don't listen to myself. Uh, I don't listen to my own music at all. But um, like it took me it took me like three months to listen to Maria Schneider's uh, Data Lords project. And I, you know, it's so amazing, so powerful. And I knew, you know, it was sitting in front of me all that time. And I could not give myself that gift of listening to it for a, like a really long time. And then when I did, I just like completely fell apart. But um, yeah, uh, I, you know, in my, in my vision for myself, I, uh, I let myself listen to music <laughs> a lot more. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So you've yeah. talked about Maria being an influence on you. Uh, do, have you worked with her on a project? I, I did work with her on a project. Uh, she hired me to do something many, many years ago, maybe um, 15 or 13, I don't know what it was, 2006 maybe. Okay. And um, it was, you know, a great learning experience. I didn't really actually have the skills to be able to sing her music with confidence. I didn't know, I didn't know how to, how to, I've never been a music reader, mm. you know, and uh, whatever. There was just, it was, it, but working on the music was amazing. And we did produce uh, some performances and, um, and, you know, I was able to, to do those and get through them. But I, I you know, again, yeah. uh, I feel like now I'd be able to do, <laughs> I'd be able to do, do that. Um, but I don't think her, her music, like my voice wasn't the right thing for her music. Like for her music, it's like the voice can't stick out. It's really got to be the whole, like she's got this way of getting the whole unit to sound like a voice you know mm, yeah and if one voice kind of sticking out i don't know like if i don't but i love that she that she tried that and i love that that i i tried it <laughs> um but she's always been super super supportive of us and coming to our shows and, and then she would write you know write me a beautiful email mm. you know and say what like all these details that she heard <laughs> and things I mean, God, what a, you know, yeah. what an amazing um, gift, you know, she is uh, to have in any audience, I'll tell you. Yeah. She's a, such a, such a, a miracle of a, of a person and writer and everything. Right, right. Um, what's coming up for you? You have more live streams, more, like, what's, do you have stuff on the calendar for 2021? <laughs> Yeah, I've been ignoring my website. I gotta gotta work works work that out. But um, I do have actually December thirteenth, which is next Saturday. <laughs> cool. um, yeah, um, there's a live stream with the Vallejo Jazz Society. Um, so, um, but anybody can can hop on, mm -hmm. and that will be Keith and I um, doing from our from our home. And uh, but we've been having fun. We've kind of worked out sound so that it sounds sounds good, and um, sounds yeah, it sounds professional and whatever. Right. Um. Uh. And and then we're working on this record, and and I'm sure you know 
more things are going to come up um, yeah. right now. I'm taking some songwriting classes. I'm taking a songwriting <laughs> class with Becca Stevens, which oh. is kicking my butt. And it's really <laughs> amazing. And I'm going to be studying actually in the new year, early new year with this Australian singer, Gian Slater. I don't know if you've ever heard her music, mm-hmm. but uh, G-I-A-N S-L-A-T-E-R. Okay. Go go listen to her music from the, uh, just start with in my in my head. Okay. And awesome. you can thank thank me later. <laughs> I will. Because <laughs> uh, it's revelatory. But I'm, so I'm going to be doing some you know some studying with her, and mm. uh, so this is kind of like a learning time for me as well as I'm teaching workshops and I'm teaching privately a lot. And, yeah. Um, but not not a ton of performance performances on on the books at the moment yeah. yeah tell me about your songwriting process a little bit do you do you and keith sit down together and write the songs or do you have idea like how does it how does it work and is it lyric first melody first or a mixture or mm-hmm. well the reason why i'm taking the songwriting <laughs> class is because I tend to go uh, be able to get one song out every five years. <laughs> you know, it's so I'm, I'm just I don't have any craft. It's really just something pours out in a moment, mm-hmm. and then, um, you know, and then that's it. <laughs> right. And I so I don't have a lot of songs, but I do love the songs that I have because they feel, you know, whatever they because they just showed up right. and. Um, and they tend to show up melody and lyrics together. Oh, cool. Yeah. That's awesome. And then do you, do you guys sit down and, and work out the arrangements together or like figure out the song together? Yeah. So that's the other thing is, um, a lot of times the, the, the arrangement for a song, it starts with, um, an experience that I'm having and, and a vision that I've got for it, and I'll work out a lot of the details and then bring it to them, him, and he translates it into <laughs> an orchestration on guitar, you know, or something for, you know, the band. Um, and sometimes some of it is just he'll do the whole thing, but mm. um, like, for instance, we have a song, uh, Let's Face the Music and Dance. And dance, which, that's a great song. And, um, and, uh, also, whatever Lola wants, that was another one yeah. of his arrangements. And he's, you know, he's amazing that way. So some of it is mine, some of it is his, and so, and and some of it we do together. Like we kiss in the shadow, I did the main part, and he did the bridge, and mm-hmm. you know the interlude or something like that. So right. sometimes it's like that, but yeah. It sounds like you guys have a great great collaborative working relationship. In addition to your personal relationship i really i really feel fortunate you know to have somebody who and and as he he is he's sort of like you know he's like a a shepherd who won't let a song be lost you know (laughs) out he'll he'll search and search until he he gets he finds you know he's like gets the song back and and is able to you know what i mean i don't know if that makes any sense but I've just felt like, both in in recording and also in, um, yeah, in being able to perform something, he goes to such lengths to really find the essence 
mm-hmm. of the story that I'm that he hears me telling and to yeah. be able to reflect that in how he plays. Beautiful. Where do you where are you drawing inspiration? Where do you get your inspiration from? Um I think it, right now it's really in this turning inward and and learning to listen to myself and there's such a there's always been there's such a like a strong desire for freedom um, from like knee jerk response um, to the world yeah 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 and and which is usually coming from a place of contraction and fear. And so there's just a desire to, to experience the world not locked in from behind that, you know? And yeah. so um, that that's a fire that's inside that I've always had that leads me, you know, and, and kind of um, prompts me to, to tell different stories of finding that freedom or being lost or, sure. or you know. Yeah. So now it just seems to be in about the listening and um, giving myself space and time to um, process what's inside and to give it voice. Right. Awesome. When you're... Um do you have aside from your little straw and your your uh, <laughs> your water <laughs> container? What what are your essentials for your practice sessions or when you go to practice? Um, uh, also corks. <laughs> corks. <laughs> yeah. So you you use a, a cork. Uh, you just you put the this one has two sides. One is bigger. One is smaller. So right uh-huh. now I'm just using the smaller, and just inside the teeth. And what this does is um, also, again, you're encouraging different different kinds of spaces in mm-hmm. the throat. And this is sort of like a if you thought of yoga blocks, you know, yeah. you're giving your 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 the space inside your your mouth and your throat, your pharynx, um, a passive opening, and then the muscles can kind of open and release. And then it also gives us kind of uh, the swallowing muscles. Uh, kind of, uh, uh, release and also the back of the throat is there's more space back there so right. you hear different sounds and uh, um, it helps the the throat be able to to be activated and awake because I mean the, typically people think of, of or talk about vocal technique in terms of relaxing everything but that's actually not <laughs> going to be helpful because if you, if you think of a ballerina, right? If they're just relaxed, they're going to be a lump in the, in the you know in, in the middle right. of the floor. No, you're looking for a kind of uh, activation, uh, a, uh, um, uh, a strength mixed with flexibility, mm. mixed with um, uh, it's a, a vibrancy. Yeah. Right, and to get that happening. In the voice, you need to be able to be to um, invite all kinds of different shapes in the throat. Mm. 
because we have default shapes that show up from our speech, right. which we're using 99% of the time. So in the singing, you have the opportunity to introduce different uh, shapes and, and different kinds of function, you know? Yeah. So it's that. It's ex- kind of experimenting with um, mm-hmm. with all of those things. So I've got I've got uh, take out um, take out these little balsa wood take out uh, chopsticks. chopsticks. Yeah. Super light. I got straws. Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> I got corks. Um, I also use and this is very this is really good too. Um, here it is. Um, you know those rubber. Um, these rubber stretchy oh, yeah. yoga bands or whatever you put up on your rib cage oh, under wow. your rib cage right to be able to tell see can you see how yeah, um, expanding and what when i breathe in right so now i'm gonna i can talk and keep this getting this to stay out your rib cage to be able to stay up and expanded like that is something that took about two years of, wow. of training because you need to develop your breathing till it's more like what an athlete does. Sure. You know? Right. Cause cool. for singing is an athletic activity. If you could, I was, I was reading about when you, when you first moved to California, when you were younger and you went to, you got invited to Monterey jazz festival how old were you at that? About 25. Right. So I'm just curious if, if you could have a conversation with 25-year-old Kate right now, what what would you want to tell her? What would you say to her? Uh, um, thank you. That's such a beautiful question, Steve. I would, I would wrap her up in a warm fuzzy blanket and I would just hold her (laughs) and I would tell her uh, to relax and that there wasn't anything to you know to push for and I would um, that everything was going to be okay and that but but that you know I don't know, I would just, I would, uh, you know, I'm really going to, I'm, I'm going to journal about that. That's a beautiful question. <laughs> but I certainly would, I would certainly give her, uh, un, you know, unconditional love mm. and acceptance and encouragement. Awesome. Awesome. Which I was not able to do at the time. <laughs> Understandably, yeah. Where can people learn more about you? Where can they find you online? And yeah, uh, Uh it's, oh, Facebook is, uh, you know, I have a, I'm on there, kind of spouting about different things. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cool. Well, thank you, Kate, so much. It's been a real pleasure and an honor to spend time with you uh, really all our time is super valuable i'm really grateful that you chose to spend some time with me and share with my audience so thank you mm. so much i i really thank you for your your uh, thoughtful questions it's really been a pleasure awesome thank you, thank you.
<laughs> All right. Take care. Thanks again for listening to the show. It was a great conversation I had with Kate back in December, and I'm glad you could be here to experience that. Once again, this episode's brought to you by the Tiny House Ride, a virtual ride event in support of the Alameda Fire Victims from the fire that ravaged Talent in Phoenix, Oregon in September of 2019. And this ride raises money to build a tiny home for a couple of families who lost their homes to the fire. Visit tinyhouseride.com to sign up or just donate. Once again, thanks for dropping by. We appreciate your support. And don't forget to check out the Playful Musician website at theplayfulmusician.com. You can hear past episodes and see show notes and links from this show and other shows as well. Thanks again, and we'll see you real soon.